First Palm Media. You are listening to Mushing on First Palm Media. Visit our website at mushing.com. Hello and welcome everybody to the Burled Arch Podcast. I am Robert and I am joined tonight by my co-host, Michelle. How's it going today? You know, it's been a fantastic day. It is a beautiful spring day. It is a beautiful day up here in the mushing capital of the world. You know, I'm getting a little bit of slack for that, for saying that over on our mushing page, I think other towns are claiming to be the mushing capital of the world. And I say that because a little fun fact for you, back in the 70s or 80s or so, they were thinking about putting the state capital of Alaska right here in Willow. And they were going to build the Capitol building over here on one of the hills. And it was literally going to be the house of government. And of course, there has always been more sled dogs than people here. So I think it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing that we are known as the mushing capital of the world. But also a good reason why is because it is the home of the Iditarod Restart, which is happening tomorrow right on Willow Lake. Michelle and I will be there with our bells on, as they say, with our camera and our drone and maybe a microphone or two to hopefully get some great coverage. But tonight we are talking about the ceremonial start, which happened this morning down in Anchorage. Michelle, tell us a little bit about the ceremonial start. I know you've been down there a few times. We did not make it down today because I was teaching my college class. I teach dog mushing class at Alaska Pacific University. So we were here with a group of brand new mushers to teach them the ropes and the lifestyle. So we missed out on the ceremonial start, but set the scene for us. What's it all, what's it like down there, Michelle? Well, it does occur during the fur rendezvous. And in Alaska, the fur rendezvous is basically a winter carnival. So if you're in a small town in anywhere in America, then you guys understand what I mean by a carnival. They've got corn dogs and, you know, different types of games and things like that for you to do. And they've got rides um, and other types of activities up here in Alaska that Winter Carnival is really what sets the scene for all things Alaska. They have a auction for furs that trappers have brought in and you get to bid on them. Um, we have done that in the past. It is a lot of fun, but that goes back to the very beginning of Alaska when we had a lot of fur trappers here and they line the streets and prepare the streets for dog sled races. And one of those most renowned dog sled races is called the Fur Rendezvous, where sprint mushers take out across the city streets of Anchorage and run their dogs. Um, the Fur Rendezvous run was last week. This weekend, they do the ceremonial start for Iditarod. And it's much like a parade, in my opinion. Um, the mushers get their dogs ready. There's a lot of fanfare. You've got a rider in the sled that has either auctioned for that right or paid 
directly for it. You've got another musher and another dog sled we call a tag sled um, on the back so that they can help slow the dogs down a bit so that you don't dump out your Iditarider. But then the dog mushers line up by bib number. So this year it will be our honorary musher and then the junior musher, uh, Emily Robinson, followed by bib number two, Anna Barrington. And they will start this dog parade, if you will, mushing out onto Campbell Airstrip. And then the dogs are um, loaded back up in their dog trucks and the mushers head on out to Willow tomorrow morning. But before they do that, a lot of them get together with that. I did a writer and go have a meal. That is right. And you had mentioned the fur rendezvous and, and it is it is a party. It's a two week party here in Alaska. And I know a lot of people that come up come up uh, a week or so ahead of time. We call it Iditarod week up here. And that's when everybody's finishing up with the vet checks and all of those pre-race things like musher meetings and photographs and interviews and all that sort of stuff. And then one thing that a lot of people do not know, especially uh, fans that are not big time fans, is often they have to load in truckload after truckload of snow onto the city streets of Anchorage the night before the ceremonial start. They load in all of that snow that has been collecting here all winter. We've had about 10 feet of snow in Anchorage. So they line the city streets and then they are off to the races. It is 11 miles from downtown Anchorage to the Campbell Airstrip. And like Michelle said, there's a lot of fanfare. There are people uh, hooping and hollering and taking videos and passing out hot dogs and people catching booties with candy in them. It is a lot of fun. And I've been in every aspect of that except being the Iditarod musher. I've been on a tag sled. I've been a handler. I've been in the media. I've done it all. And I think it is a absolutely amazing experience if you're able to do that just once. Just make that a bucket list item if that is what you're interested in. Which brings me to something very important. If you are thinking about coming up for Iditarod next year, I highly suggest that you get your reservation for a hotel room in Nome right now, a year ahead of time, because they will sell out. There are only a couple of hotels up in Nome. Unfortunately, a couple of them have burned down in the last few years. So there are very few hotel rooms up in Nome. So if you want to do that bucket list trip of the ceremonial start and the restart and the Nome trip about a week and a half later, I highly, highly encourage you guys to jump on that right now. You don't need to buy plane tickets and all that sort of stuff right now, but definitely get that hotel room, if that's what you're interested in. So the ceremonial start started at 10 o'clock. They do the countdown as they always do. A guy by the name of Carl Haldenbach, I believe is how you say his last name. He is known as the, the master of ceremonies, if you will, the king of the start, I think they call him. And he is the one that you hear on the coverage that is saying, three, two, one, and go. And then they're taking off. But what I've always found very interesting about the ceremonial start is, of course, it is 
kind of pomp and circumstance and ceremony, but you see all of the mushers doing hugs and handshakes and all of this stuff, like they're hitting the trail right then for the next two weeks for a thousand miles. And that is not the case. So all of that uh, pomp and circumstance, if you will, on ceremonial start day typically is just to thank their sponsors and their friends and all of that and play it up for the camera a little bit because tomorrow is when it's really happening. So all of the racers took off. From my understanding, it went off without a hitch. I did see that coverage was not the best. Our neighbor across the street said, and I quote, Iditarod coverage used to be really good. Iditarod start coverage used to be really good. Now it is like watching it on an iPhone from a teenager. So that is firsthand knowledge from my neighbor and friend, across the street. So what do you think? Did you enjoy the ceremonial start coverage? If so, let us know in the comments for sure. So after the ceremonial start at the Campbell Airstrip, you meet your dog handling crew and you load up all the dogs into the truck and then you're on your way to Willow. And tonight is when it's all happening. The last minute preparations, uh, the last minute team Teams are picked. The gear is checked over once, twice, and three times. You're getting to sleep in your bed for the last time in potentially two weeks or so. Uh, you're saying goodbyes to your significant others, your pet and your, your, your dogs that you're leaving behind. You're kissing your kids. Uh, you're making sure your bills are paid and all of that stuff that has to happen for being gone for a couple of weeks. And I think that that is missed by a lot of people. There is not a lot of uh, hooping and hollering after the ceremonial start. There are some parties, of course, that are happening uh, tonight. Uh, I know that uh, when the Willow Trading Post was open here in Willow and when Hobo Jim was still alive, there was a big time party down there. And we used to go to that every year. We would ride our snow machines over and uh, listen to the music. But unfortunately, uh, Hobo Jim has passed on and the Willow Trading Post is closed. So I don't think that there are any parties going on tonight. So sometime tomorrow morning, early in the morning, everybody will pack up and make their way to Willow. Of course, some of them live right here or are staying close, close by the, the restart. Uh, and they have to be at the Willow Community Center where it takes place right there on Willow Lake. The mushers have to be there by 11 a.m., so that is three hours before the first start, and they are in the staging area. They're making sure everything's ready to rock and roll. Uh, there are some checks by uh, the staff of Iditarod and that, that sort of stuff. And one thing that is very interesting during the restart wait time is they do drug testing on a lot of their dogs. It's all random. They will come by and do... Um, uh, urine tests. And it's very interesting to see how that happens. Uh, sometimes they, they catch it in a little uh, Ziploc baggie uh, where they are literally putting their hands up in the private parts and catching enough uh, urine to be able to do that. Uh, they are, uh, it's a little easier to do with the males than it is the females, but uh, it is all random. And that is a very key component because, and I just learned this today from one of my APU students, is they are under the care of the head veterinarian from the time the vet checks are done, which is uh, earlier this week or even before, 
till four hours after they have finished in Nome. So random drug tests are part of that, as well as random drug tests for people. And I know that there has been uh, failed tests on Iditarod back in the day, and we maybe talk about that in our coverage as we're going through. But otherwise, that is a big deal for Iditarod. And of course, we've all heard and remembered the stories about um, uh, the the drug issue with one of the dogs uh, back several years ago in Nome. So they've made precautions with that. And one of the big precautions that they've made is they no longer allow any visitors or even media into the dog lots. Uh, only handlers and select personnel are allowed in the staging area or in the dog area of, uh, of the checkpoint. So I think that that is very interesting. So, Michelle, before we talk about what's happening tomorrow, did I miss anything? No, I think you covered it quite well. I would like to say, though, that it is a parade atmosphere going back to the ceremonial start. Not It it's, has nothing to do with racing today. You will not see mushers passing each other. They do pass each other, as a matter of fact, and and I think that is something I heard. I, I've heard this many times over. You will not win the Iditarod on Saturday of the ceremonial start, but you can for sure lose the Iditarod. I think uh, uh, a few years ago, I can't think of exactly the date. There was a guy that uh, crashed his sled, ended up getting getting a concussion on the ceremonial start, and had to scratch because of the ceremonial start. So yes, you can you can realistically lose the Iditarod on ceremonial start day. Huh, really interesting. I've never seen them do any racing like they do with the Ferrandi. Oh, no, no, it, it's it's not a quote-unquote race, but you will pass, especially if if, uh, if a team's going too slow and your, your, your team is much faster. There are passes and, and all of that, but it's definitely a party atmosphere. Lots of smiles, lots of pictures. Of course, a, a few wrecks here and there on the infamous Cordova Hill, uh, but otherwise, it's all fun and games, and it is all for uh, the spectators. It is truly a spectator event. So, Michelle, let's move on to what's happening with us tomorrow. As we mentioned, the uh, the mushers will start arriving uh, before 11 o'clock. I believe check-in time is at 11. And I believe, like in years past, all of the dog trucks will go down onto Willow Lake. So we have the community center right off of the Parks Highway, which is about uh, 70 miles-ish or so from downtown Anchorage. And uh, they will all pull in and be parked by the personnel in starting order. So all of the trucks will be there. And I think that they're on the lake. In years past, they've been on the lake. And then there is a long starting chute that goes all the way across the lake. I believe the lake is at least a half a mile long, maybe longer. And typically it is packed to the gills from the start line till they are off of the lake. I'm talking hundreds if not thousands of people that make their pilgrimage up. So if you are in Anchorage for the first time and you're thinking about coming up to Willow tomorrow, I would highly suggest that you take advantage of one of the shuttles. I know that they offer a shuttle service from the Millennium or Lakefront as it's called right now. And I believe they also offer a shuttle from Wasilla at the Fred Myers. I'm not sure about that, but somewhere up in Wasilla, 
take the bus because you will thank me tomorrow afternoon. Uh, you will ride the bus up. I think it's 10 bucks a person or something like that. Otherwise, it is all paid parking. You will park across the parks highway on the other side and you will have to walk. They do not have accommodations for people with disabilities. It is deep snow. It is slick. It is icy. You have to make your way across the highway and then down onto the lake. So it is something that, uh, that does take some effort. I believe that is also $10 to be able to park there. But the key is, is the return. We only live four miles from Willow Lake, right here in, in, our, um, in our place here in Willow. When I drove, and I've only driven one time in all of these years, when I drove, it took me two and a half hours to get four miles from Willow Lake to our house here at mile 64 and a half. So what's going to happen is at 2 o'clock p.m., the first musher will go out. There will not be any uh, any pomp and circumstance. They will not have a lead-out musher. They will not have the honorary musher or anything like that. They will do the uh, the national anthem and all of that sort of stuff. And I believe that they are doing something with the Army this year. Now that they're a new sponsor, they're doing an induction ceremony uh, for new army recruits, I guess they're called. That's pretty cool that you can be inducted at the Iditarod. I think that's pretty neat. And then they will go off without a hitch every two minutes for the next, uh, 38 mushers. So what is that? Uh, uh, 76 minutes, I guess it is. So a little over an hour and a half, they will take off down the trail and be on their way to Nome. And I know, Michelle, you and I are heading over at about 11 o'clock tomorrow. What is our plan? And uh, maybe we'll break some news right here as we're talking. As you know it right now, and we have not discussed this together, what is our potential plan right now? We're, we're going to be hoping to get some drone footage um, so that we can show you guys a little bit of the setup. Um, I know that... Uh, I did a rod. If you've got the insider, they're probably doing the same thing, but you guys are going to get the uh, perspective of some hometowners. And uh, we'll be talking to you guys a little bit about the history of Willow, but we're also going to do our 90 second interviews with as many of the mushers as we can possibly uh, get a hold of. So we'll have the 90 sec second or speed round interviews that we'll be posting up as well. Um, we, depending on how active the lake is, we may or may not go ahead and ride on out to Yetna Station um, because if we get there right around 1130, 12 o'clock, we should be able to grab some interviews, get some drone footage and some other uh, candid shots and then be able to head out. We haven't decided fully, though. Yeah, so that is our plan. We plan on heading over by snow machine. We can literally drive our snow machine from our backyard to Willow Lake. We do have to cross over uh, the highway there, but it's not a big deal. And we will park ourselves a little bit further down the chute than a lot of other people. For some reason, everybody wants to clump up at the very start of the chute. And then you have this mass of about... 30 or 40 people deep, and uh, it, it's it's not a uh, a very good viewing spot. So if you've ever been to 
a concert, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where everybody sort of rushes the stage, if you will, to be in the front row. So you have to be there pretty dang early to get that front row seat. So we'll often find ourselves at least halfway down the lake, if not further, and then we'll get a much better vantage point from there. Last year, we took a lot of photos and stuff, and that was before we owned Mushing Magazine. So we weren't there on official business last year. This year, we are technically on official media business. So then if we do decide to go down the trail, this is where the fun really happens here in Alaska. It is truly the longest tailgate party in the world. So once the mushers leave Willow Lake, they will go literally through a neighborhood on some neighborhood streets, and then they will go on one lake after another for several miles. They will hop, skip, and a jump across all of these lakes here in our little community of Willow. And along these lakes, you will see people having big-time parties and uh, barbecues and bonfires, and that will go well into the evening. People really make a day of it. Uh, they were, they're still giving out beers and hot dogs and snacks and giving high fives and doing all of that stuff because things begin to stretch out even at that very early juncture because everybody's going out two minutes ahead of time. So that will make its way down the trail as they jump over the lakes and then they'll go down the infamous Corral Hill. And that is a very cool viewing spot if you have the option of traveling on the trail a little bit from Willow. So that is about, I think about 12 miles or so on the trail. So you'll come off of all these lakes, you'll go through a section of woods or so, and then you'll go down a pretty decently steep hill and make kind of a dog leg to the left. And then you're on the Sioux River at that point, or at least a, a funnel into the Sioux River. And then you work your way down the Sioux. You go past what used to be called Scary Tree. You hang a right onto the Yetna River, go down that road, uh, road, that river for a bit. And then you're at the first checkpoint of Yetna Station, which I believe is 35 miles from the start. And a lot of people don't stop at Yetna. That is a, uh, a checkpoint that a lot of dog mushers skip over. Some of them will stop and, and grab gear or straw or anything like that so they can make their way to Squintna. I know that uh, Jean Gaberzak and her family have always been very welcoming there at Yetna Station. They usually do a big spaghetti feed. I think, again, it's about 10 bucks. For some reason, everything's 10 bucks for, for fans in Iditarod. But you can, you can grab a spaghetti dinner and you can hang out and uh, watch the mushers come by. We've done that a few times, and I know Michelle, on her early editions of this podcast, says that is a bucket list item. Because I usually have to hold down the fort. Yep, so we may, we may ride out to Yetna Station tomorrow. I know the weather is supposed to be nice. It is supposed to be cold, but it was an absolutely beautiful day up here in Willow. Those bluebird skies, the trails are remarkable around here, and I think it might be a good time to ride up to 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 Yetna. So let's let's put Michelle on the carpet if you will because it's really her decision and I want to ask her right now. Michelle, on the spot, should we go to Yetna tomorrow? Well, 
We are celebrating your birthday this evening, so I think it's going to come down to what time we get home. And if I meet my deadline for a project that is due before 7 p.m. tomorrow. Okay, guys, so Michelle is still on the fence. I cannot convince her to go. Tell us in the comments, should we go to Yetna Station tomorrow night? Uh, we will be leaving about uh, halfway through the Iditarod start uh, passing some of those teams as they hit those lakes, make our way down Corral Hill, make our way down the lake, and then onward to Yetna Station. Uh, if we go at a decent pace, Michelle, it's only 35 miles. So if we're going 20 or 30 or even 40 miles an hour, we can get there in an hour, hour and a half. And that is with some stopping. But you have never been there. Should we go to yet? If we go, I want to arrive before the first mushers. I oh. don't want to be on the trail with them. Oh, we would arrive before the first mushers just by the very fact that we're going faster than they are. All right, guys. I we I, I think we're going. I think we're going. We're going to handle our, our quote-unquote media duties to do the first run to Yetna. And then depending on how we feel, maybe we'll make it up to Squintna. If we do go up to Squintna, that is 70 some odd miles up the trail. It's, and I say it that. It says it's 83. 83 miles. It is 83 miles but up the trail. But is that counting from Anchorage? Because it says Anchorage, it says Willow is 11 miles. So yep. they've already counted 11 miles. Yep. So that's 83 trail miles. So that so does. So that's minus 11. Yep. So that is, uh, that is minus the ceremonial start because that does technically count as mileage. So whether we go or not, most of the dog teams will work their way up to Squintna. They will arrive there late into the evening, depending on when they start. And remember, they start at two-minute intervals. And some teams will camp there. Some teams will stay there for a few hours. Some teams will camp before they get to Squintna and make their way into that checkpoint and then do their first, quote-unquote, official uh, stop at that point, picking up supplies before they head through the trails and then on their way up to Rainy Pass and Finger Lake and the steps and the gorge and all of that sort of stuff. So that's what's going to be happening tomorrow. So there's going to be a lot of action between 2 p.m. tomorrow and when you guys wake up on Monday morning. Remember, this is a 24-hour-a-day race uh, most teams are less active in the heat of the day. That's when a lot of teams will be stopping on the trail to, to rest uh, their dog teams. So there is quite a bit of action that is going on when most of us are in bed. So if you are an Iditarod insider, uh, it is fun to follow the race well into the evening. I know fans, especially over on X or Twitter or whatever it's called, they literally follow the race 24 hours a day because people are obviously in different time zones and whatnot, but uh, uh, that's, that's what's happening. And then, of course, uh, for the fans, after all of the teams have gone out, they do have to make their way back down to Anchorage. They will either be sitting in traffic, whether they drive or uh, they have taken one of those shuttles, and then uh, pretty much Iditarod, at least from a fan's perspective, is over for uh, South Central Alaska and everybody packs up and I guess most of them go home. Is that right, Michelle? I believe so. So let's talk a little bit about who is running this year. Uh, as Michelle mentioned, 
Going out bib two is Anna Barrington. She is a veteran. Connor McMahon, we've had him on our sister podcast, CC Tales. He is a rookie from Canada. Will Rhodes, who we talked about last night, is a rookie from Alaska, Two Rivers. Mats Peterson, who we just recently interviewed on our Mushing podcast, is a veteran from Sweden. Bryce Mumford is a rookie from Idaho. Dallas Seavey, will he get his sixth Iditarod Championship this year? He is also a veteran from Talkeetna, Alaska. Jessica Klika, I believe is how you say it. Klika. She is a veterinarian and a veteran from Wasilla. Jesse Holmes is from Alaska, who is also a veteran. Hunter Keefe is now a veteran. He ran his rookie race last year. He's from Alaska. Joshua Robbins is a rookie, and he is from Alaska. Millie Porcelet is from Denmark, who is also a veteran. Our musher profile of last night, Laura Eklund, is a rookie from Alaska. Travis Beals is a veteran from Alaska. Isaac Tiford is a rookie from Salt Lake City. I believe he's running one of the CV teams. Matt Hall is a veteran from Alaska. Nicholas Petit, a veteran from Alaska. Jeff Dieter, also a veteran from Alaska. Jason Mackey, a veteran from Alaska. Jesse Royer from Montana, a veteran. Ryan Reddington, the reigning champ, is a veteran from Alaska. Josie Tier is a rookie from Fairbanks. Aaron Altimus is, I believe how you say it, a rookie from Minnesota. Gabe Dunham, a rookie from Alaska. Anna Hittesey is a rookie, I believe is also from Minnesota, but it says that she lives in Willow. Pete Kaiser, my choice for winning it this year, is a veteran from Alaska. Sean Williams, a rookie from Alaska. Amanda Otto, who is running a team from Jeff King's Kennel, is a veteran. Aaron Burmeister. She's from Idaho. From Idaho. Uh, um, Aaron Burmeister, who I believe was uh, one of our friends' picks last night, is a veteran from Alaska. Severin Cathry, I believe is how you say that name, is a rookie from Switzerland. Matt Failer, our neighbor here on our home trails, is a veteran from Alaska. Bailey Vitello is a veteran from New Hampshire. Benjamin Good, a rookie from Alaska, North Pole, Alaska. Deke Nakaborgen, I believe is how you say his name. He was a recent guest on Mushing Radio. Heck of an interview. I believe he said that his name means naked man or something like that in his, uh, in his home in his homeland. I don't know if that's a joke or what, but uh, it makes sense that uh, that is uh, that is his last name. He is a veteran from Fairbanks, Alaska. Jeff Reed is a rookie from Alaska. Laura Kittleson from Washington is a rookie. Calvin Doherty, I believe, is running one of the CB teams, is a rookie. His dad, Larry Doherty, does some really cool stuff. He is a, I believe, a, a cancer doctor, and he is doing some really cool stuff with taking people to Summit Kilimanjaro in Africa, and he does that as a uh, kind of a bucket list coaching type deal. So definitely check that out. 
Uh, Paige Drobny, a veteran from Alaska. Wally Robinson, who was our musher profile on our first night, is a veteran from Alaska. And as we know, Wally Robinson is Emily Robinson's father. It is definitely a family fair affair up there. And Emily Robinson is receiving all kinds of love for her really kicking ass on the trails this year in uh, in Alaska for sure. So that is the list of 39 people. And as we said, uh, we have one heck of a field. I think about 25% or more of the uh, of the list here has a real chance of winning it. But remember, a lot of people, they're not worried about winning. They want to make it to Nome as, uh, as a very healthy and happy dog team. And they want to get, as we say, the most expensive belt buckle in the world when they reach Nome. So that is the list, Michelle. Before we get into our musher profile of the evening, did we miss anything? I don't think so. I think you covered that quite well. I think it is an interesting field. Um, it's it's going to be a balancing act out there for everybody with how much of the snow drifted in the last week or so out here. Um, but I think that everybody's going to do just fine. Yes. So I, I found the news that I was trying to say just a minute ago. 27 Alaskans, four international mushers, 16 rookies, 22 veterans, three former champions, 38 mushers is made up 11, 11 women, 27 men. They are going on the northern route this year. They do have 16 dogs, so that is about 684 dogs if everybody has the full 16-dog team. And as uh, Rob Erbach said, the CEO of Iditarod at the media musher media briefing the other day, that is 40% more dogs than they had last year. So... A lot more dogs on the trail, but a relatively small field on the people side. So, Michelle, who do we have for our musher profile? We are going to discuss a person who is a military veteran and has done something pretty unique. Um, they started a nonprofit about three years ago called Outreach 22. Uh, they have set up shop, if you will, right here in Willow, Alaska. This veteran um, was a sniper squad leader and a long-range marksman instructor. And he started Outreach 22 because 22 veterans commit suicide every day. And so I think that that's pretty cool. He's trying to bring awareness to that problem. And because he's opened up his dog mushing kennel to take veterans out on um, mushing trips as riders in the sled, he's really teaching them something that is near and dear to Robert and I, and that is experiential learning and activities where you get to experience an activity to open your view, if you will, to other ways of living and existing. And dogs are one of the best creatures out there to teach us to keep going. 
So our musher of the day is Joshua Robbins. He is a rookie, and I would like to have each and every one of us go check out his website. It's put together quite nicely. And um, we don't typically tell people to donate, but if you're so inclined to check out Joshua's website and his business, I implore you to do so because we need more businesses like this, especially in our small town of Willow, Alaska. So I'd like to say props to Joshua Robbins and good luck on the race. Yeah, for sure. And guys, if if you're a new fan to our show, I never know who the musher profile is until Michelle talks to, starts talking about them. So it's always cool to see who she picks. And I, I think this is definitely a worthy one. Of course, they are all worthy. But our goal is to share awareness of all of these mushers and tell a little story or two about them and what they're doing out on the Iditarod Trail. Many, many dog mushers run under some type of banner or cause, whether it is something like Josh does with uh, suicide awareness for veterans. People run for uh, diabetic research and cancer research and uh, you know uh, civil rights and social causes and the whole nine yards. Lots and lots of people are running under a cause or two. So I urge all of you guys to go check out all of the bios of these mushers. And if you're so inclined, reach out to them, uh, give them a, a, a vow of support, whatever that means to you, whether it's just a like on Facebook or a share on social media or whatever. They are out there doing their thing to raise awareness for whatever cause that is near and dear to them. So I urge you to do the same thing. I am a big time proponent of putting people in a position where they can make a difference in their community. As I said the other day on our first show, I am not necessarily a fan of anybody or any team. I don't have any favorites in, in this race. I don't have a dog in this fight, as they say. So I don't have an opinion one way or the other about how people lead their personal lives, good, bad, or indifferent. That's that's their bed. They have to make that. Uh, so I urge you guys to really do your research on people that who you want to follow, who you want to promote, who you want to become friends, fans with on social media. And if they have a cause that is near and dear to you, uh, sing it, sing the praises to them and, and talk about them as much as possible. So definitely check out Joshua Robbins and Robert, what he's doing. Yes. One last thing. Um, Joshua says that he will be wearing a patriotic parka, so it shouldn't be too hard to pick him out. Yeah. If he has, if he has that going on, definitely check him out. And I think that's also what's cool about I did a rod. And of course, in other sports as well, I know the other professional sports are really cracking down on uh, individuality. You know, they, they get fined if they wear different colored cleats and that sort of stuff. They want everybody to be uniform. But one of the cool things about dog mushing is we're still able to literally wear our, our cause on our sleeve. And whether that is fancy colored parkas, whether they're bright green like Ryan Reddington or a patriotic one like Joshua Robbins, or bright pink sled bags, or bandanas on their dogs at the ceremonial start, or whatever. Uh, we're all just figuring out a way to stand out in the crowd, right, Michelle? 
Absolutely. And, and above all else, I think that Iditarod does celebrate individuality. They do for sure. It's, it's always been that way for sure. So guys, if you are interested in having us cover somebody on our musher profile, if you are a handler or a significant other or a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, and you would love to have us care, uh, cover your musher, let us know. If you have some inside knowledge, whatever that is, reach out to us over on any of the social media platforms. You can definitely find us over on the Mushing Magazine page. We have a very active page there, lots of followers, and we would love to showcase your mushers on our profiles. And we would love to have that insider information. Michelle, what type of questions are you looking for? You know, I want to know something unique about the musher that they didn't share really anywhere else, but they would be okay with you sharing about them. Um, And we, we really are just looking at this musher profile as a way to promote these dog mushers in a way that is not being done elsewhere. Um, that is what really sets our show apart. It always has. We are not, um, we're not forced to do this. You guys, we do this because we're passionate about it. And, and that's why I don't tell Robert who my musher profile is. I want him to be genuinely surprised and learn something as well. Um, I do try to do as much research as I can, but I'm limited to what the internet will tell me. So if you do have a musher that you know something about, or you shared a moment with, and you'd like me to talk about that, please send us a message. For sure. And we just learned a little bit about uh, Miss Emily Robinson when she was on our show a couple of weeks ago, right before she ran Junior Iditarod. Her secret to the question was, what do you eat out on the trail? And she said she eats baby food pouches because she gets so nervous, or at least she did then, She gets so nervous, she can't hold anything down. So she is a fan of those little applesauce pouches or whatever they are. And that's what she eats before and I guess during a race. I wonder if her dad, Wally, is... uh, is scarfing down some of those baby food pouches like her, like his daughter. You know, they told me it, and if you recall, if you listened to the other night, they told me it was peanut M&Ms and chocolate chip cookies. So I'm thinking he doesn't get so nervous that he can't eat food. For sure. So guys, that is it for tonight. I hope you're enjoying this coverage. If so, make sure you like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you really like our coverage, make sure you check us out over on mushing.com. We do have subscriptions to both print and digital subscriptions, and you will get so much content. You won't know what to do with yourself, including all year long coverage of. Hey, Robert, where can they get some mushing swag? From us. They can get what we have right now over at firstpaw.shop. We have some shirts, we have some hats, we have some one of the kind hats. I'm talking about one off hats, handmade, hand pressed hats are for sale. Ball caps and beanies. Yep, over on firstpaw.shop. And unfortunately, those can only be shipped in the United States. So for our buddies over 
international or Canada, it is just so dang expensive to ship stuff over there that sadly you will pay much more than you would pay for the swag to get that item there. Now, if you want to do that, if you want to pay $40 shipping for a $25 hat, go for it. We'd be happy to ship it to you. Or you can tell us that you're in the neighborhood and stop by and pick one up. For sure. So guys, we will be here tomorrow night. Uh, I don't know what time. That will really depend on if we head up the trail, but we will be on at some point and we will be on every night after until the finisher's banquet about two weeks from tomorrow. That's when we will end our coverage. So check us out. Give us a like. Give us a holler on the comments. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Are you a fan of the great outdoors? Do you enjoy the thrill of speed and adventure? Then listen up. Introducing Mushing, your ultimate guide to the exciting world of dog-powered sports and mushing. Whether you're a seasoned musher or just starting out, Mushing has got you covered. Get ready to immerse yourself in captivating stories of incredible sled dog races, expert training tips from seasoned professionals, and gear reviews to help you make the right choices for your team. From the breathtaking landscapes of Alaska to the snowy trails of Scandinavia, Mushing takes you on a thrilling journey through the world of dog-powered sports. Don't miss out on the latest issue packed with exclusive interviews with top mushers, in-depth articles on sled dog nutrition, and stunning photography that will transport you to the heart of the action. So whether you're dreaming of competing in the Iditarod or simply want to learn more about this incredible sport, Mushing is your go-to resource. Subscribe now and get ready to unleash your passion for mushing. Visit our website at mushing.com or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Mushing, where the spirit of adventure meets the power of the pack.